Remain standing, please, for the reading of the scriptures. Would you take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter number six. We'd like to read responsibly 10 verses, beginning in verse number four through verse number 13. Allow me to read verse number four and the succeeding even numbered verses. And would you begin reading with me, please, in verse number five, along with the succeeding odd numbered verses through verse number 13. Once again, this is Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through 13 and reading responsively. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath, shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things, which thou fillest not, and wells digged, which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, I pray that you might take your words this morning and illuminate them in our hearts and lives. Lord, I pray for each individual and each family that's represented in this room, Lord. And I pray that, Father, you might do a work of grace in our families throughout this service, Lord, and throughout the weeks to come, if you tarry in your coming. Bless this series of messages on the, us and our real family, we pray. We pray these things and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We preached that message last Sunday. You need Bethel, that is the house of God in your life. Of course, we were on this series of messages in regards to the family. And uh, me and my perfect or me and my real family is our message series title, of course. And, and we need Bethel in our life. We said the house of God is the place where you meet the Lord, where you receive his blessings where you realize the, his presence and power, where you can begin to learn worship, where you run to in times of trouble, where you come to, uh, to get a new start. The house of God is where you get fellowship, new and renewed fellowship, that is, where you get strength and divine protection, where you fall in love with the God of the house of God, where you go to receive help for your family. And then our 11th point, final point was, it's uh, the house of God is a place where the family for those for, that need a family who are without a family. And, of course, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And we looked at the single man, of course, the Ethiopian eunuch. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the re-giving of the law. It's the reiteration of the law. It's reminding the children of Israel of the, 
the, the, the law of God and what to, they were to remember. And I want to deal with this subject this morning, building your family on the right foundation. Building your family on the right foundation. I want to start off with a provocative statement that may be misunderstood, but it shouldn't be. And that is, it starts off with a, with a question, rather. Where does the Bible tell us to put our family, where, where in the Bible does it tell us to put our families first? Where in the Bible does it tell us to put our families first? Well, I searched the scriptures, and I uh, hate to tell you, in case you're wondering, you say, well, it must be tell us that somewhere, somewhere in many verses of scripture, but nowhere in the Bible does it tell us to put our families first. You may be shocked by that. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter, chapter 10, verse 36, he said, An immense foe shall be David's own household. Verse 37 says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not up his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. But that phrase, he that findeth his life shall lose it. He that saves his life shall lose it. He that saves his family shall lose it. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 25, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There are a lot of people trying to put family first, and I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians trying to put family first. You know, we have home churches across America. I'm not opposed to churches meeting in houses. Don't misunderstand me, but we have these home church groups that, that uh, have forsaken the house of God because they've just forsaken denominationalism in their mind. And uh, they don't believe in organized religion, and so they have, I guess, disorganized religion. I don't know. But they, they have uh, home, home studies and so forth because there's no church that's good enough for their family, of course. Their family's first. But there's a problem with that, and I just have a little three-fold outline. We'll get right to it this morning in, in way of introduction or point number one. There's the problem with putting family first. Now, this is a message, a serious message. It's on the family. You said, Preacher, I thought you were going to tell us how to... Uh, strengthen our family, to build our family. Well, I'm, I'm doing that, but I want to tell you there's a problem when we put our families first. The first problem is it's unscriptural. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I say, I, 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 can't, I, I can't swallow that pill. Well, many verses, but I chose Luke chapter 14, verse 17. The Bible says there, Jesus was, gave a parable, and he said and he sent his servant at supper time saying to them, that were bid and come for all things are now ready. He, in the parable, he's inviting people to come to his wedding feast. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, or I am asking you to have, ask me to have me excused. And another said, I have bought a five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, or I am asking you to have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. And therefore I cannot come. The, the, I married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Jesus went on to say that none of those people that were bidden to his feast shall, shall, shall come, of course, and be bidden. And the wrath of God will eventually ultimately come upon them. Because they chose, in some, at least one of these three cases, family first. It's unscriptural to think that family should be first in your life. Now, nobody loves their grandchildren. I use an illustration of my grandchildren every week, so here goes, so I'll get it over with right out of the gate and get it over and move on. I love my grandchildren. I love my three daughters. I love my sons-in-laws. I love my siblings. I love my mom and dad. I love my relatives, and I love my family, is what I'm trying to say. And you love your family. Hopefully you love your family. And all God's people said, 
But the Lord said in Isaiah 42 and verse number 8 that he will not share, and I'm paraphrasing, he will not share his glory with another. God must be first in our worship. The problem of putting family first is it's not scriptural, but secondly, the problem of putting family first is this, that God knows that who I am committed to will determine who sets the rules. Let me say that again. God knows it's a problem when you put your family first. God knows that who I am committed to will determine who sets the rules. You see, if, a, if I am committed to my family first, then if, they are, then if they are not happy, then I won't obey, I won't obey God myself. I want to please my family. Uh, I want to please, uh, how many children I don't know how many times I've heard this over the years, at least, oh, I would say 20, 40, 50, 60 times at least, if not 100 times. I've had parents tell me, well, I never forced religion on my kids. I wanted them to decide. Let me ask you, did you force kindergarten on your kids? Did you force first grade on your kids? You better. You're a delinquent parent if you don't. They didn't need those things, of course. We've decided that there's things that our children need. Did you force food upon them? They better eat or they're going to die. Force water upon them? You better drink or they're going to, they're going to, they're going to die. Certain things you, we, we must give to our kids whether they like it or not. Church is definitely certainly one of them, of course. Following God is one of them. And this Deuteronomy 6 is given to the children of Israel to inculcate this truth to their children. But who, the problem of putting family first is God knows that who I am committed to, I will determine, I will determine who sets the rules in the family. Who sets your, who sets your rules in your, your family? Your children? Your spouse? Who's the rule setter? Well, God's the ruler. Number three here, a third problem. God knows who I am committed to, I will listen to. He knows that. Consider at least two, and we need not turn there, but let me give you two Old Testament illustrations. Genesis 16, and the story of Abraham and Sarah. If it wasn't so sad, it would be hysterical, but it's really sad. I mean, here's this aged woman that should be very knowledgeable, and this aged man who God called out of the early Chaldees. And this aged woman has this brainstorm that she has to conceive seed by her husband, but she's too old so she has this brilliant idea. Abraham, go into my hand, handmaid, Hagar. You know the story, the rest of the story. And the Bible says that, that Abraham listened to his wife. And he went into Hagar. And the Bible goes on to say that, that, that she conceived, that's Hagar conceived. And when she saw, that's when Sarai saw that she had conceived, her mistress was, or in other words, Hagar was despised in her eyes. And the problem with Abraham listening to Hagar, or listening to Sarah, you say, how big is that problem? Well, it's about a 3,500-year-old problem, and it's going on until the day Jesus comes back. You see, what did Abraham do? He put his family first. He put his wife first. Another story in Judges 16, a misprint on your bulletin. It's not 1 Samuel. It's Judges 16, not 1 Samuel 16. But there's the story of Samson. Samson and his mistress, or his wife, if you will, his, his live-in Lover, of course, Delilah, his family. He loved her so much. And uh, she wanted to know where the strength of his, where his strength lied in it. He lied to her twice, of course. And you know, the, most of you know the story. 
But she, the Bible says that she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was sore vexed. And he listened to her. And he eventually succumbed and he gave, his, gave the answer of what is, where his strength coming. He said that no razor had ever t- touched his head. He had a Nazarite vow. And later on, you go down through that chapter, we get to verse 21 of Judges 16. The Bible says, and the Philistines came and they put out his eyes. It wasn't a smart move listening to his wife, was it? It wasn't a smart move listening to his family. And yet many people want to put their family first and therefore they, they, the family gets to set the rules or one family member gets to set the rules or several. Some uh, will listen to them because we, we love them. We want them to please them. Number four, a fourth problem with putting your family first is that God knows if I'm committed to my family first that I'll do what I think is right. Maybe not what she thinks if you're a man or he thinks or uh, one of the family members, but we'll do what I think is right, not what he thinks. What he thinks. He thinks. Thinks. The way that she may threaten to a man, but the end are over the ways of death. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, the Bible says, Trust the Lord with all thine heart. What's the next phrase? And lean not unto thy what? Own understanding. It doesn't make sense that you give 10% of your income to, the, to God. That means you'd be you'd 10% short. That's not our understanding. That's his, his ways. Trust the Lord with all thy heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. In verse 7 of Proverbs 3 says, Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So we don't do what we think. That's putting our family first. We do what God says. We, we, we have, must have the mind of God, the mind of Christ. And then fifthly, the fifth problem that I can see, and a fifth among, certainly not exhaustive, I'm sure there's many more. But the problem of putting family first is this, that it's a firm principle of the Christian life. If you put your family first, now get this, then sooner or later God will come Second, think about it. If you put your family first, that means God is second. And I would make an addendum. If you put God second, somewhere down the road, he'll be third. And then fourth. And then he'll be last. And then he'll be, and hey, this is a phenomenon. I'm telling you right now, I feel like an authority on some things. This is one of them I feel an authority on. We're not having funerals anymore. I've said this several times now. I know. I've kept a 33 and a half year diary. I have written down every single person I've ever buried. I don't bury anybody anymore. Nobody dies in 2018 any longer. No, I'm being facetious. People are dying just as fast, but no longer. You say, preacher, I didn't know you buried so many people. The vast majority of people I've buried were people outside of our church, people I never knew. They want somebody, they want a Christian minister to minister to them. Not anymore. As I've talked to funeral home directors about this. I've talked to other pastors about this. It's true. We've, people have lived for God, without God for all their life. God's the last resort. At their deathbed, at the hospital room, they might ask for a preacher or a priest. But now, now they're getting to the point where they're so brazen that they've lived their whole life without them. Why have them at the end of their life either? They don't want to be hypocrites, I guess. 
And you, you start putting your family first before God, and God will become second. And before you know it, he'll become third. Before you know it, he'll become fourth. And before you know it, he'll be last on your list. And then in your time of trouble, he may not be there to be found. He that hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. And so there's multiple problems when we put our family first. But now to our text, if we could, Deuteronomy 6 here, let's begin the, notice, secondly, the principle of putting God first. First of all, we put God first in our lives. Look at verse number 4, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. In verse 5, it's a great verse. Would you read that with me once again? Here we go, ready? And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. The Bible says, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, all thy, all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. I was chided after the service, and rightfully so, by a certain 815 member, because I began to, uh, we just got back from hearing some, some great preaching for a week of uh, Indiana preaching, or southern preaching, I guess, uh, Tennessee and Kentucky preachers, and Georgia preachers, and we were the only northerners there, it seemed like, at this conference, of course, but there's some guys could really preach. Some guys had great eloquence and great expositors for the word of God and some preachers and so forth. And I, I sat there and I said, wow, I, could, I can't do that. I can't preach that way. I'm not, of, uh, I'm not a silver tongue. I don't have the, the gift that these big-time speakers have and so forth. Somebody after the 815 service came up and chided me and said, Pastor, quit cutting yourself down. You, you, God uses you to speak to my heart. And then, Well, that's the Holy Spirit of God. Thank you very much. I'm glad for that. But I, you say, why did you say insert that, preacher? You know, I go through a little mental exercise before I get up and preach. I shouldn't say this, but I, well, I just popped in my I'm going to say it anyhow. Uh, had, we had somebody visit our service a while back. I'll just say if, a few, several weeks ago, and within moments, at the handshaking time, 12 minutes into the service, they informed me they didn't like my suit and tie. They, were, they didn't like that I wore a suit and tie, and they didn't like our music. Their music was boring to them, and they were here for 12 whole minutes, and they were already critiquing us in 12 minutes. They had us all figured out, and I, and I said, well, I, I, it's fine that you don't wear a suit and tie. I wear a suit and tie because I'm a pastor, and that's, I just want to try to honor the Lord. That's, that's how I was trained. I was trying to explain to them. And then our songs, by the way, I love our songs. I love the songs that we sing, the high church songs. But that's another, another story. But I go through this mental exercise, and I had to lead music. Caleb wasn't here this morning at 8.15, and, and Eric came in uh, and relieved me after a few couple songs. But I go through this exercise. I'm not a song leader. I can't sing. I'm getting worse in my old age. And i got to give the announcements. And I got to do the whole thing, I ate 15 all by myself, and I'm not very talented any longer. And I get slurred my speech. And, but I go, this is the exercise I go through. You're doing this for the glory of God. Do the best that you can do for God's glory. And, and I ask God to help me. Why? Because I want to love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, and all my might. I want to give him the best that I have. And that's... The principle of putting God first in your life is, starts by putting God first in your own life. You want your family to be blessed, it starts off by putting God first in your own life. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, I already read it, but verses 8 and 9, notice it with me. 
And thou shalt bind them upon, for a sign upon thy hand. And thou shalt be as, they shall be as frontlets before, between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. We must put, if we're going to put God first, it starts by putting God first in our own life. Hey, don't worry about, remember the Negro spiritual. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord. Quit worrying about your spouse living for God. You start living for God. You do right. Don't, you say, quit worrying about your kids. So I wish my kids would live for God. Well, I want my kids to live for God too, and I want my grandkids. But you start living for God yourself. First, first get right with your own, for God yourself. Do right yourself. Every man in this church, lead your family. You be the leader. You do right, even if your wife doesn't do right. Every wife in this church decided you're going to serve God. You're going to put him first in your life. But then the second principle of putting God first, it means involves teaching his word, teaching God's word to your children. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verses number 6 and 7. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt speak of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Teach them diligently to your children. We were in Muncie, Indiana, and uh, on Thursday noontime, we left the conference early, and Pastor and Mrs. Parmar, their son Kenneth, of course, and their daughter-in-law Jenny lives in Chicago. And we drove the 220 miles to that, that Friday morning at 4.30 a.m. Jenny's uncle was like a dad to her, uh, passed away of cancer. And uh, so we spent a few hours wanting to see uh, Kenneth and Jenny and the family, the Indian family. And I'm not trying to embarrass the Parmars, but it's, I don't know if all Indian families are like this, but Indian families, at least this Indian family is tight. And they're, they're, they're all in the same community there in Chicago, 100 plus of them, and uh, somebody dies, and everybody's there, of course. And uh, they're all, they seem like everybody we met were well educated. Uh, Jenny's, uh, that's their daughter in law, her sister is a dentist, and uh, they're all very capable people, very educated people. But I want to get to Z- Zion and Abel. Zion is eight, and Abel is seven. And they're the grandkids, of course, the Kenny and Jenny's kids, and obviously the Parmer's grandchildren. And uh, they, they, I'm telling you, they were more intelligent than not most high school seniors. They were more intelligent than most, most adults, I'm telling you right now. They knew, Abel knows the, the, the whole periodic table by heart. He knows the, the, the constellations. He knows the, the solar system. He, was, he knows, I was, I was blown. He knows all 50 states. He knows all, all 50 capitals, all 50 states. So we, we were walking at night, and he, I looked up, and I said, I think that's a fertile crescent. No, Pastor, that's a waning crescent. And all of you say so, I believe you. Again, by, by corrected by a seven-year-old. But, but then Pastor Parmar said to his grandchildren, he said, well, and he, he, he references, said, Dozens of references. Quote Matthew 16, verse 18. What, uh, one verse after another, just rapid fire. 200 verses, seven and eight-year-olds they have memorized. The, these kids, are, they're going to go places in this world, so to speak. I can see it. But they're well-disciplined. They're well-trained in the Word of God. And that's where their blessings are going to come from. The Bible says in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Train him up in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And so the principle of putting God first, we're talking about 
the overlying premise of this series of messages is uh, that our families be strengthened and they be blessed and they prosper. Well, how do we do that? By putting God first in our life and making God first in our own life to begin with. Then teaching that the word of God, inculcating that word of God to our children and to our children's children. Then thirdly, quickly, the third principle in putting God first means that we love and honor your spouse or our spouse like the Lord loves us. Several verses, but 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Likewise, husbands, or ye husbands, dwell with them, that's your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Hebrews, or rather Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the Bible says, I've always said for us men, it's the hardest command in all the Bible. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Wow. Hardest verse in all the Bible for men. Maybe the hardest verse in all the Bible for ladies is the verse before that. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Wow. But there, there we submit to one another, preferring one another better than ourselves. We love and honor our spouses like the Lord loves us. But that leads me to the We've seen the problems of putting your family first, the, the three principles at least of, of putting God first, but that leads us to the thirdly, the, the, the promise when we put, the promise is when we put God first. The promise is when we put God first. First of all, when we put God first, number one, when you commit to him first, God will provide for you. Well, let me say that again. When you commit to him first, God will provide all your needs. But my God is able to supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Psalm 37, you need not turn it. Let me just quote it to you. Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt, or certainly thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. You commit your first, when you commit to him, that's God first, God will provide, God will meet your needs. Hey, don't have room on the worksheet, but that phrase, that statement, and some Christians buy into it, it's an unscriptural statement. That statement that's maybe even spoken from many of pulpits, I'm sure, even this day. God helps those who help themselves. That's anti-biblical. The Bible says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Jesus said, for without me you can do nothing. Uh, we can't do anything. Every good and perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Everything we have, we have by his grace, by his power, by his sovereignty. And this Deuteronomy 6 and many other verses as well teach us that we need to commit first to God. We need to trust in him and we need to, we need to honor him and we need to put him first in our lives. And God will provide our needs. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Not our riches, but his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so not only does there's the blessing of or the promise when we Put God first that when we commit to him, he will provide for us. But secondly, God helps those that, that who honor him first and put him first in their life. 
God helps those. He energizes those. 1 Samuel 2.30 says this, For them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I've used it many times, but how many know a gold medal winner from 1924? Anybody know a gold medal winner from 1924? Somebody? I'm waiting. Jeopardy. What is? I think I heard it. What is? Give me a gold medal winner from 1924. Somebody, somebody's afraid to say it. Chariots of Fire. Eric Little. Give me another gold winner from 1924. Yeah, that's what I thought. Nobody can give it. Why do we know 1924 Eric Little? And some of you say, well, I didn't know. The story, and of course, Audrey Horton was here, 87-year-old Audrey Horton. She was in that same prison camp as a 10-year-old girl that Eric Little died in in 1945. In 1945, by the way. He died in, at the age of 45. And he was in that Japanese-occupied prison camp in China there as a missionary. But 20-some years earlier, as a 22-year-old or 24-year-old, I think he was, he ran in the 1924 Olympics. But he didn't run in his forte, his race of choice, which was the 100-yard dash or the 100-meter dash. I'm not sure which. He's the fastest man in the world, the Flying Scotsman, the missionary kid from Scotland. And the preliminary race was on Sunday. Back then, people actually had convictions that they actually held to. Being a good Christian, he didn't, he didn't play sports on Sunday. And so he didn't run. So he didn't win because he never participated. But they put him in the 400-meter race instead a few days later. And they, he was predicted to finish eighth in that race. He wasn't the world's fastest. He finished first. He set a world record. And he won the gold medal in the 400 meter. He didn't win the gold medal in the 100 meter because he didn't run in. But we know him because he didn't run because he honored God first. And before he got in, when he got in those blocks, true story, Jackson, Jackson Schultz was his name from America, America's fastest man, the flying cannonball, they called him. True story. He handed a note to Eric Little, and the note had just one scripture verse for Samuel. Chapter 2 and verse 30. Them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Matthew 6, 33, we all know. But seek ye, what? First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So God helps those who honor him and put him first in their lives. And our children needed to see us honoring the Lord. If we don't show honor to the Lord, how do we expect them to show honor to the Lord? If we don't revere and respect the Lord, how do we expect them to honor and revere and respect the Lord? How do, they, how do we expect them to understand these things? Then thirdly, a third promise that we get by putting God first is simply this. God commands us to remember, Deuteronomy 6 now, and rehearse his past deliverances in our lives with our children. Look at chapter 10 or chapter 6, verse number 10. I'm not going to read all the verses for time's sake. But it says in verse 10, And, the, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto the, thy fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the goodly cities which thou buildest not, verse number 11, and houses full of all goods and things which thou uh, 
fillest not, and wells which thou dig not, and I'm paraphrasing, and, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. And uh, then verse number 12, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him. Remember, rehearse with our young people. and our, You know, there's a holiday coming up. It's called Thanksgiving. And we give God thanksgiving. One of the first roots of apostasy is Romans chapter 1. The Bible says, neither were they thankful. We're living in a thankless society. I want to give you two, two things this morning here that seem uh, on the surface unrelated to our subject, but they are. Just like Deuteronomy 6, verse 10 through 13 God says, I've blessed you with this country, this land that flows with milk and honey. God has blessed this country. 22 times you find the phrase milk and honey in the Old Testament. It's talking about the land of Israel. Leviticus 20, 24 is one of those 22 times. But I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you for a, to possess it, a land which floweth with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. When the pilgrims, the separatists as they were known, came from Leyden, Holland, or from Scooby, England, in 1619 and 1620, as we know, as they land in, at Plymouth Rock there, they came in the name of God. They didn't come for gold, they came for God. They were fleeing religious persecution. That little band of pilgrims said, well, nearly half died that first winter. You know the story. But they realized that God, they, they believed in a providential God. They believed in a God of manifest destiny, which Americans used to believe in. Let me transition for a moment here, and you'll hopefully see how this ties in. But God has blessed this country. When we were driving uh, nearly 2,000 miles, I know we were in territory, I was in territory that I had never been in myself, but the Parmars hadn't seen this section of, of, of the Midwest we drove northeast Ohio to my mom and dad's house and spent the night. And then the next morning, early Monday morning, we got up and we headed out towards, uh, uh, towards Cleveland and then headed a little south and headed towards Worcester and what you know of as Columbus, of course, and over to uh, Muncie, Indiana. And we drove through 150 miles of Ohio farmland. Then we drove through 100-plus miles of Indiana farmland. And then three days later, we drove through another 150, 180 miles of Indiana farmland, and then through Illinois, and then the vast, and we just saw a tiny speck, just a tiny speck of, to use the phrase, Americana. We saw a tiny speck of the, the land of, that flows with milk and honey. I remember, I just sat there, I've got to run this fast, this rabbit trail fast here, but I remember even as a young boy learning that when I was a kid, there were even secular teachers back then teaching us that the world was getting overpopulated and we couldn't feed the world. There was not enough food and not enough space on the planet Earth. I question as I traveled through those hundreds and hundreds of miles of corn fields and wheat fields, endless. I question, I, I said to myself, did anybody ever travel? Did anybody ever see the vastness of this country? The vast country and all its wealth and its bounty and and God provided all of that. And there's whole fields, of course, where we could, so much more that could be planted and so much more. We got food going to waste. We got so much food. We could feed the world seven times over, no doubt. God has blessed this country. And once upon a time, and we've gotten away from this. We've gotten away from patriotism. 
We now have those that will kneel and think it's, uh, there's their patriotic right to be able to kneel, kneel for our flag. They think our country is despised. It's interesting, and I will say this too, and I'm not, again, embarrassing, but for you, you folks that were born outside of this country, and I find that more times than not, you're the most patriotic people we have in our country, as people that are born outside this country, people that, that came from another country to see the, bl- the blessings and the Parmars again. We were talking much about this, about coming from India to America. Oh, my. What a blessing. What a privilege. And we that have been in America all our lives, we, 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 we yawn and we mock and we take it so, so for granted. But God has blessed this country. And God says, don't you forget that I give you, give you this land that you didn't work for, this land that, you, that uh, was others, this land that, uh, uh, that flows with milk and honey. I give it all to you. That leads me to this truth here, and then the tie-in. You see, we rehearse and we remember God's deliverances in our life. We remember how God blessed us with our country. And then we remember God's blessings. Where do we remember those blessings at? In church. In church. Psalm 92, verse 13. Listen to the verse, verses 12 to 14. But verse 13 says, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. They come to church and they hear the blessings of God, a regular regimen of their life. Now follow this. We could have used for our text this morning, we're talking about building your family on the right foundation. I would submit to you that millions of Americans, millions of Christians are building their families on the wrong foundation of sinking sand the wrong foundation of education, the wrong foundation of enjoyment, the wrong foundation of endless family, uh, uh, family happenings, and not building on the eternal foundation of the Christ, the solid rock uh, on, the, on his church. Everything else is secondary. It's amazing to this, and I, it's amazing how many things get put in front of coming to church. It's amazing how many things get put in front of putting God first in our life. God is in our first fruits. God is our last resort. God is, if we have time, we might squeeze him in. But we have millions of families, and I'm afraid even Christian families, and again, I don't overuse the Parmars here, but uh, this morning here, but millions of our families, even in Christianity, that have said, I'm going to save my family. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall find it, Jesus said. But seek ye first your family, and all these things will be added unto you. No. But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. This Deuteronomy 6 was given as a reminder to rehearse it over and over and over again and explain how good God has been. You want your family to be blessed? Your family needs to come to know God. You want your family to be blessed? Your family needs to come to the house of God. You want your family to be blessed? God's got to be first in your life. And all these things will be added unto you. When I went to college, in final illustration, some colleges, they think that they're there to teach men how to make a living. But I went to a Bible college, and I'm not saying that everybody should go to a Bible college, even every Christian. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that's the path that God chose for me, or had laid out for me. But I learned that college is more to learn how to live than it is to learn how to make a living. If you have character, you can be blessed of God in a great way. God will bless you in a wonderful way. 
if you put God first, you'll build your family on the solid rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and on the church where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God bless the church. You want your family to be blessed? Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain to build it. Except the Lord, watchman, watchman waketh, or Lord, Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You've got to put Christ first in your life, and it starts by coming to the house of God. Whether you feel like it or whether you don't, you still come to the house of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I want to believe, and I, I, I kind of do. If I could get in the head and the heart of everybody that's here within the sound of my voice this morning, Lord, I, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I want to believe that everybody came here because they wanted to come. Everybody wanted to give you honor and glory. Everybody knows they need church in their life. But Lord, we pray for our families today. We pray that you might be first in our own hearts and lives. And we might, Lord, begin to teach our children the word of God when they, when they lie us down, when thou rises up all day long. Not just one hour a week on Sunday, but Lord, all week long. May we teach them the word of God. May they be frontlets for our eyes. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to understand that we must put you first. Lord, have your will and way in our midst, we pray. Help us to trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Lord, I pray you bless in our moments of invitation. I ask in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand together, let's sing that song, Trust and Obey. But there's no other way to be happy in Jesus.